Please join me in prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, this week continues our month-long series of looking at the psalms, the psalms that are highlighted in the lectionary text for each week. Last week, one of the things that we said about the psalms, which Peter actually reiterated this morning, is that it's a beautiful book because it carries with it such a variety of emotions. The psalms relay a plethora of experiences that all of us can relate to at one point or another in our lives. Last week we talked of the psalm that reminded us, Psalm 107, that when we are lost in the wilderness, God's presence is there with us, even in our lost state. We find comfort in God's people around us, God's community of faith, God's community of people offering us strength as a symbol to God with us. Like many psalms, we read them and we go away feeling better when we read them. And we analyze the psalm, feeling assured of a loving, caring God, the kind of God we want to imagine all the time. A Santa Claus kind of God. A dear grandmother kind of God the kind that would always have our favorite cookies baking in the oven when we were coming to visit, just for us. A best friend kind of God who will be with us through thick and thin, our very own BFF, our number one cheerleader kind of God. Whatever your pristine image of God, this is the kind of God that all of us actually desire. And whether we achieve that image of God in our minds, well, that's another story. But I think we all have a goal of what we would like God to be and how we would like to experience God. And that's the kind of God, this God, is what we want to read about in the Psalms. It's the kind of God we want to imagine that we pray to each day. And it's the kind of God that we want to experience on a daily basis. But today's psalm, Psalm 50, brings us a different image of God. A God that is mighty, who does not keep silent. This God says it like it is, whether you want to hear it or not. This God has a devouring fire that precedes him and a mighty tempest all around him. I'm still trying to wrap my head around that one. A mighty tempest all around God. And God calls all the people of the earth, everybody, everybody, together, so that God may judge us. Now this is where I sense people getting tense. This is where we envision a God who is an all-powerful judge, with the long black robe and the gavel in hand. Psalm 50, we are told, is when the Lord gathers people together to assemble them for judgment. 
And then the court proceedings com commence. And in the courtroom, God is prosecutor, God is judge, God is jury. You don't really have much say at that point. No defense lawyer to stand up for you. God's in control. And the scene is full of words like majesty and awe and strength and, and even dread. God and God alone declares guilty or not guilty. And we stand there nervous and a bit fearful. I don't think many of us want that kind of God. Many of us may have experienced that kind of God at times in our lives, but I don't think many of us want that kind of God the judging God of Psalm 50. We want the kind of God that is created in our image, in our minds, that gentle and kind God. You know, I'd like to rather stick to the God of, God of Psalm 23, thank you very much. And so I'm reminded of this poem. It's a poem originally written by Wilbur Rees entitled, I would like to buy $3 of God, please. And a later version of the poem was re revisited and reworked by a man, uh, D. Carson. And so I've taken both of their versions of this poem, I would like to buy $3 of God, please, and created my own version. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not too much, just enough to make me happy. But not so much that I get addicted. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a, a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want so much, God, that I learn to really hate to covet or lust. I certainly don't want so much that I start to love my enemies or cherish self-denial or contemplate missionary service in some alien culture. I want ecstasy, not repentance. I want transcendence, not transformation. I would like to be cherished by some nice, forgiving, broad-minded people, but I myself don't want to love those from different races, especially if they smell. I want the warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I would like enough of God to make my family secure and my children well-behaved, but not so much that I find my ambitions redirected or my giving too greatly enlarged. I would like about $3 worth of God, please. Unless I'm... 100% sure that I have done something totally, absolutely right. I really don't like knowing that somebody might be judging or critiquing me. And frankly, I don't really like judging people or critiquing them either. It's not easy coming up with that normal something positive and yet a constructive criticism to go along with it so that they can grow and yet be affirmed. It was a thing, honestly, that really made leaving teaching quite easy for me. I loved every part of teaching but the grading. Trying to find something critical to say about a student who just had 
a really fantastic paper or a fantastic speech, and yet trying to find something positive to say about that hopeless paper or that hopeless speech that also came in was really challenging at times. I heard this week that Ellen DeGeneres is leaving American Idol as a judge. Why? Because she doesn't like having to be mean to the contestants as she judges them and has to tell them what they're doing, what they're doing poorly in their singing. In life, people ask you for feedback. How do I look in this dress? Does it make me look fat? Honest feedback. It's hard. And most of us don't like being judged or, or being a judge. And yet it happens all around us. Think about how many times already this morning you have judged something or someone. Perhaps you've already judged the sermon. How many times does somebody walk into your workplace or into school or into your home and you think, I would never be caught dead wearing that outfit? Or you judge someone by the kind of car they drive or the kind of house they live in or the people they hang out with or the language they use to talk, what they look like, what their hairstyle is how they behave, how they listen, how they, how they just are. And how many of us critique ourselves in the mirror each morning? Wow, I am really having a bad hair day today. Oh, those bags under my eyes. I look so tired again today. Or we use so much negative self-talk that we can't seem to find any good in anything we do. We strive to constantly be thinner or more fit or more successful or funnier or smarter or, or more religious or more faithful or more disciplined or more insightful or happier or, or more put together. And rarely do we look at ourselves and declare as God did when God created humans this is good. You are very good, God says. So here we are, a people who are afraid of a God who judges us, a God who just might call us all together and judge us. And we ourselves don't like to judge people really don't like critiquing each other, and I think especially in Mennonite circles, what if I hurt someone's feelings? But yet it seems like something we do every day, every hour, critiquing or judging. Is it a way of life for us? God did create us in God's image. So it seems a bit ironic that we would be fearful of God's judgment on us. But yet we are, because we know that we are guilty of things, little things, big things. We are guilty. So we pray and hope that the God who judges will not condemn us. Last summer, as part of my sabbatical, I had the pleasure of attending a week-long preaching workshop at Calvin Theological Seminary 
in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Some of you may remember, it was a while ago, about a year and a half ago, but some of you may remember having written evaluations of my preaching for that workshop. I had asked about 40 of you to fill out an evaluation form and send it right into Calvin, so I didn't actually see your specific evaluations, but the secretaries at the seminary collected those evaluations and created a compiled evaluation of my preaching based on you. I also had to send in two videotapes of my preaching here at East Chestnut Street, and also all of my notes and transcripts and notes that I had used to deliver those sermons ahead of myself for this week-long preaching workshop. On one afternoon, I had a one-on-one meeting with John Rotman, who is a preaching preaching professor at the seminary. I had read of John's preaching wisdom in textbooks before, and so now I was walking into the room one-on-one, knowing that this man had seen my videos, read my transcripts, and read your evaluations of what kind of preacher I was. John isn't the Santa Claus kind of person that you would hope for when you would walk into a setting like this. And while I like to appear fairly self-confident, I was terrified. I walked in and I sat down and John, I could see the, the CDs were there that Dirk had prepared with my name written on them and everything was in place. And John said, have a seat. And I sat down and he said, so how's the week going? And I'm like, great, small talk. I'm like, I just want to get to this. And so we were talking, and for about 10 minutes, we just talked about the week and what we were learning and what we were talking about and things and some of his insights. And then he jumped in. And he said, well, I've, I've watched your videos. Actually, I've watched each of them two to three times. And um, I read through your notes, and I read through all of the evaluations that your congregation wrote about you. And, well... You're a good preacher, but you could be a great preacher. And it was amazing because instead of feeling criticized, I sat up and I grabbed my pen and I said, give it to me, John. Tell me how to do it. And for the next two hours, John had four four points that I could work on to improve my preaching. And I fed on that. And a lot of it was based on stuff you all had said. But I hadn't had the courage to ask you directly for it. Instead, it took this seminar. So you all had a lot of really good advice for me. And John worked with me in such an encouraging, empowering way that I walked out of there, instead of feeling beat up about my preaching, I walked out of there so inspired to improve to be a better preacher, that it was the most amazing time of critique and judgment that I have ever received in my life. Now, being judged is scary. We're afraid to walk into that room of judges. But John showed me how one can judge appropriately, not to knock us down, but rather to create us to be the full expression of who we are, 
to allow us to be the best we can be. And it is in this way that we experience the salvation of God. Psalm 50 has a very important verse to it, and that's verse 23, in which it reminds us that a significant part of God's judgment is salvation. It's not condemnation. It's not rejection. It is salvation. And we earn our salvation through grace, through the forgiveness of our sins. Is it possible that God judges us so that we can be better? So that we can be great? God gives us feedback, and God gives us grace so that we can be all that we were created to be. Had I not received the feedback and advice from John and from all of you, perhaps I would have plateaued in my preaching. But hopefully, because of my willingness to receive judgment and because it was rendered to me in such a thoughtful, helpful, loving way, the kind that I believed God does give when we go to God with open hands and open eyes and open hearts and open ears, well then, judgment is not for negativity, but for growth and for opportunity and for love so that you and so that I can continue to live and be and pursue life in the very fullest of ways, just as our beloved God wants for each of God's beloved children. This week, may we go not with judging hearts, but with hearts open to the world and to God, ready to give and receive grace freely. For God, has ju- for God as judge has shown us that salvation abounds for those who earnestly seek God. May we all seek God and grow in the spirit of grace. Amen.